Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> I thought I'd come out in a different sort of way to begin our new series, Christmas Unwrapped. Are you happy to be here? I'm sorry. I'm sorry I can't hear you. Uh, it's a little bit soundproof in here. I, I just had this song come to my mind. No, no, no. All right, enough of this. Really, look, I got, I got one message for you as we begin a brand new series here at Waters Church called Christmas Unwrapped. Here's the message. I am not the gift, okay? I am not the gift. Jesus is the gift, amen? All right. Come on, you didn't actually think I'd put myself in a box, did you? Well, would you stand with me today? We're gonna go right to the word of God, Isaiah chapter two, of uh, 52, sorry, Isaiah chapter 52 today. And for the next four weekends, we're gonna deal with Isaiah 52 and 53, okay? Isaiah 52 and 53. And I wanna preface this by saying these are not your typical Christmas message uh, texts, okay? And, and there's a reason for that. We, we're, gonna get, we're gonna get down to business about what Jesus came to do. Okay, we're gonna get down to business. Somebody say, do business. So, so here we go, Isaiah 52, verse 13. says, behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up, and he shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what they heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, as from one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. And we're going to stop there this weekend. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for your living word. We acknowledge in this moment that your word is a two-edged sword. It is able to divide between the soul and spirit. It's able to get down to business in our own hearts, and our own minds, and our own lives. And my prayer for this year, in this December is that that two-edged sword will pierce through all the stuff that we humans love to wrap Christmas with. That we'll get back to why you came and realize what it means for us, for our neighbors, for our world. And as we pray every week, so I pray again, Father, help us to see Jesus him and him only. In his mighty name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a seat. Have a seat. God bless you. So Christmas unwrapped. And I have this message title, Unwrapped Up. <laughs> uh, and, and if you've got your phones out, waterschurch.guide, click on today's message, click on the North Attleboro location, and you'll get the notes there that you can fill in digitally. Or we gave you a note page Old-fashioned, there's a note page uh, out in the lobby. You can grab one on your way in and fill it out the old-fashioned way. I think that one of the things about Christmas that we've got to address is that Christmas is never what you expect it to be. 
Christmas will shock you. You will make plans. It won't go the way you want. Uh, you'll get a gift. It's not what you expected. Maybe you'll give a gift. It wasn't expected. I remember the first gift I ever gave my wife. I remember the first gift. Uh, it's one thing to get a gift that you don't like. It's another thing to give a gift that they don't like. Amen. First gift I ever gave my wife. We weren't married and wife yet. We were a husband. Uh, we were a boyfriend and girlfriend. And it was 1998. It was my first serious girlfriend where I actually had a girlfriend on Christmas. And so I had to do the shopping. Went over to the rent them outlets. Shopped all day. I couldn't figure it out in my head. I was like, I don't know. What, what, what do girls like? And so I went to a store and I found the sweater and it looked kind of nice. And it was it was like half off. And uh, that's really what I was shopping for, like 50% off, 25%, oh, 50% off. Here we go. This, is, this looks like something she'll enjoy. So I bought the sweater, bought my girlfriend a sweater. Yeah. <laughs> Husbands are all like, oh, gosh, I've been there. All right, so I wrapped it up. Remember, I gave it to her. I was so proud. I gave her this 50% off sweater. She opened it, and the look on her face said everything. You know what it said? It said, you stupid, stupid man. There's no way that I will ever put this on my body. And I was like, hey, try it on. She's like, no. I'm like, what? Try it on. And then we actually had a fight over the gift that I gave her. And the fight was so bad, and she, wouldn't, and she refused to put it on, I broke up with her. I said, you didn't expect that Christmas gift, did you? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm actually not kidding. That actually happened. Uh, anyway, long story short, we made up, we made out, and we uh, had three, three kids and lived happily ever after. Amen. Okay, so... Crisis averted. I did hear this story, though, about a husband and wife. They were having a conversation before Christmas, and she said, Honey, I had the weirdest dream last night. It was Christmas Day, and I was putting on this beautiful diamond necklace. She said, What do you think that dream means? He said, You'll find out on Christmas Eve. She said, Okay. Christmas Eve came. They exchanged gifts. He gave her a box. Inside the box was a book. She read the title of the book. The title of the book was How to Interpret Your Dreams. I love that joke. You ever get the Christmas that you don't expect? You ever get, you ever get shocked by Christmas? Listen, it is 2020. <laughs> we got a month left of this mess, okay? Is there anything that the past 11 months tells us that we should have a normal Christmas this year? Nothing. It's going to be different. And I think this is a good thing because we can get back to what Christmas is all about. We can unwrap Christmas from what we've wrapped it up with. Like we, 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 we tend to do this with Christmas. We tend to wrap it up in all kinds of nonsense. Like I just want some audience participation if you're so brave enough and please yell out something so I hear it. Um, but, but let me ask you, like what do we focus on on Christmas which it's not really about? Like give me an example. Somebody shout something out. Presents. What else? Santa. Santa. Oh, yeah. Oh, 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 yeah. Big time. What else? Parties. What else? Food. What? Huh? Singing. Yes. Joy to the world. Only we don't even sing about Jesus anymore. We sing about snowmen and reindeer and, you know, frost, frosted noses and toeses. It's ridiculous, right? We don't even sing about the Savior anymore. And in fact, our, our schools can't even sing about the Savior anymore because we've got to have it. We have to have it secular. I mean, what else? Anybody else? Anything else? Huh? Hallmark decorations. And so here's, 
Here's the thing. We, we wrap up Christmas. And, and, and here's the thing about um, even our entertainment kind of wraps Christmas with stuff that it's not really about. Like, I love Christmas movies. I love them. But they're filled with false gospels. <laughs> they're filled with heresy and nonsense about, about Christmas. Like, in the words of Clark W. Griswold, Christmas is about resolving differences and seeing through petty problems of family life, right? And then right after that, his wife says, yes, like when my mother accuses your mother of buying cheap hot dogs and your mother accuses my mother of waxing her upper lip. I love that movie, but it's, it's nonsense, right? Or Kevin McAllister, Christmas is about defending your home from two idiots the justice system can't seem to keep locked up. <laughs> or one of my personal favorites, Fred Claus. Christmas is about accepting the fact that your brother actually is Saint Nick, and that's okay. It doesn't define you because you're special. You're unique, so accept yourself. And Drew Latham, I love that movie. Christmas is about finding relief from your grievances by renting a family to be your family based on the bad advice of a terrible therapist. <laughs> I want to bring my friend out, my friend uh, Andrew. He's going to come out with me for a second, and he's going to help me wrap this gift because we don't just wrap the gift. We double and triple wrap the gift that God gave us. We do this with all the things that you guys mentioned. Where are you? There you go. And, and, and somebody, wrap, somebody taped the wrapping paper. Here we go. <laughs> and so we just cover it up with all sorts of nonsense that Christmas really isn't about. And how many know the devil loves it when we do this? Because as long as we can keep Christmas, you know, shadowed from what it really is about, nobody's paying attention to what it can really do for us. So we wrap it with the gifts. We wrap it with stories about Santa. We wrap it, all these papers are wrapped up, taped up. We wrap it with, <laughs> here we go. We wrap it with men wrapping presents. Come on. This is... This is a college course right here in, in men wrapping presents. Never have your husband wrap the presents and every wife said, amen. And so, <laughs> you know, that's, I think we've pushed that enough, Andrew. We wrap up the gift with a bunch of stuff it's not about. We're gonna go back. We're gonna go back to the reason Christmas is here. Here's why, in 2020, <laughs> 2020 is a perfect opportunity for us to unpack and unwrap this season. I read this article at thechristianpost.com, and if you're looking for a good Christian news site, I encourage you to go to christianpost.com on a regular basis. Here's the title of the article. With more spiritual reflection and less gifts, most Americans say COVID-19 will change Christmas. That's the title of the article. And, and I read about how nine out of 10 Americans, I didn't even know this, they surveyed 1,200 Americans. I, I didn't even know this, nine out of 10 Americans take time to spiritually examine themselves around the Christmas season. I didn't even know that. Well, the article says that that number's going up. More than ever, people are starting to have a spiritual surge at this time of year. How, how many think that's a good thing? Amen? Like, that's a good, we want this. Thank God in, in, in that respect for the chaos that has been this year. Not, not thankful for the deaths, not thankful for the sickness, not thankful for the pandemic, but thank God that in some ways God has taken the evil of this year and using it for good and waking some people up to what this season is about. Can I get a good amen right there? 
right? And then in the article it said this, and I was shocked by this. It said 10% of America's religiously unaffiliated. These are the non-spiritual people. These are the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, N-O-N-E-S. The people who have no religious belief system whatsoever. And it says 10% of them are more likely to spend time in spiritual reflection during the holidays this year. These are your coworkers. These are your friends. Might be your relatives. Might be someone you haven't talked to in a few years. And so here's what we're doing. We're unwrapping the message of Jesus at Christmas time to make sure that we say what it's about and you know what it's about because if anyone needs to be aware, if anyone needs to be uh, totally down with what Jesus came to do, it has to be his church who loves him for what he came to do. Amen, somebody. It's gotta be us. So here's the thing. Here's a great, here's a great impetus for you doing something for me, okay? I want you to begin now praying about and thinking about who can you invite to our Christmas Eve and Christmas Eve Eve services. We've got five Christmas Eve experiences. Five Christmas Eve experiences. So two on Christmas Eve Eve, three on Christmas Eve. And we want you to help us fill this house, socially distant, thus five, socially distant with someone, one of these people who may have just coasted through Christmas, but this year they're actually open to hearing what it's about. We've got a great opportunity to see people hear about Jesus. Okay, so we got invitations. They're out there. Take them, invite them, and don't hesitate. And don't be shy. I've read statistics after statistics, story after story of this, of, of how one out of four, on average, Americans who don't presently go to church will go to church if someone they know invites them. Think about that. One out of four. So you just have to invite four people, and your odds are you'll get one. All right? This is a great opportunity. So before we get there, we got to know what he came to do. What's the gift God came to give us? And Isaiah has the message for us. Isaiah 52 and 53. Now, Isaiah, I call it the fifth gospel. If you're taking notes, write this out. The fifth gospel. We know there's four gospels in the New Testament, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Okay, so there's four gospels in the New Testament, but Isaiah, theologians refer to it as the fifth gospel. And the reason why is because this book, Isaiah, which is somewhere in the middle of your Bible, okay, somewhere in the middle of your Bible, this book was written, listen, 800 years before Jesus showed up, 800 BC, 800 years. And in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah prophesies, that is he foretells what the Messiah is going to do, what he's going to be, how he's going to come. And Isaiah literally nails almost everything Jesus did and experienced. Isaiah predicts the virgin birth. Jesus was born by a virgin. Isaiah predicts his rejection by his own people. Isaiah predicts that he will be crucified. Isaiah predicts that he will be whipped, that he will be scourged, that he will, be, that he will die. Isaiah predicts he will rise again. And then Isaiah predicts that the message of Messiah will go around the world to the nations. And Isaiah wrote all this 800 years before it happened. That's cool to me. Now, some people say, well, that's because you know what happened in the ancient world. These guys, they, they, didn't, they didn't really predict that. They kind of wrote that book after it all happened, made it look like it was prediction. Okay, wrong. Because in 1947, a little uh, Islamic um, 
shepherd boy was leading his goats in the backside of the desert around the Dead Sea, and he stumbled upon the greatest archaeological find in the 20th century, the Dead Sea Scrolls. And he found not only uh, ancient scrolls from antiquity outside the Bible, he found most of the Old Testament in these scrolls and is still being discovered, still being researched to this day. And they found amongst the Dead Sea Scrolls in 1947 a complete word-for-word Hebrew copy of the entire book of Isaiah. In fact, it was the most preserved book in the entire collection of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Isn't that amazing that the one book of the Old Testament that basically predicted everything Jesus came and did was the most preserved amongst the Dead Sea Scrolls? And they carbon dated that text, they carbon dated that scroll, and it was carbon dated to 160 BC, 160 years before Jesus ever came. What am I trying to tell you? Here's what I'm trying to tell you what's in this book is true. It is the living, breathing word of the living God telling us about Jesus Christ, God's Son, who came to take away the sins of the world. Amen. Some more cool things about Isaiah. There are 66 chapters in Isaiah. There are 66 chapters in Isaiah. Guess what? There are 66 chapters in our Bible. The first 39 chapters of Isaiah are all about doom and judgment and woe and punishment. The first 39 chapters. Guess how many books are in the Old Testament? 39 books. The last 27 chapters of Isaiah are all about God comforting his people by providing Messiah to save them from their sins. And the last 27 books of our Bible are called the New Testament. So Isaiah is like the Bible in a nutshell. If you want to spend some reading time this holiday season, read through that book. You will be amazed at how relevant it is to the message of Jesus. Now, the thing about Isaiah is that he wrote this 800 years before Jesus came. But, you know, the Jews had been through some stuff since Isaiah wrote. And that by the time Jesus actually showed up 800 years later, they weren't looking for the Messiah that we now know today. They weren't looking for a crucified Savior who rose from the dead. Now, see, what happened was Isaiah wrote in 800 B.C., and then God's people went into exile. They were judged for their sins. And the Jewish people, you could say they've got the gold medal for human suffering over the course of the, of the human history. Well, well, they went into exile to Babylon, and they were subjected to the Babylonians in 586 B.C. And then they were subjected to the Medes, the Median Empire, for about 90 years. And then they were subjected to the Persian Empire. And then they were accept, uh, uh, subjected to the Greek Empire, Alexander the Great. And then they were forced to follow the Greek customs and become like Greek people and, and even not circumcise their children, which was anathema to Jewish people. And so they were, they were really forced into the culture around them. And then after the Greek empire dominated the Jews, the Roman empire came along and they dominated the Jews and basically subjected them to high taxes and, and imposed on them all kinds of restrictions and laws and basically moved them wherever they wanted to move them. And so the Jews suffered, listen, the Jews suffered under five successive ancient empires for literally 600 years. And you would think that at the end of those 600 years, the Messiah that they would be looking for would do one simple thing. Kick butt. Get these Romans off of our backs. 
Get, get us some freedom. Bring us back to the glory days of Israel. Make Jerusalem great again. Right? Messiah, give us someone who will lead our army into battle and, and kill some people that hate us and we hate them. And so I, I'm just trying to paint the picture here that when Isaiah writes the things that they interpreted to mean was that someday God is going to save, save us through warfare and a conquering general and king who will deliver us from all of our enemies, who will solve all of our external problems. And Isaiah actually had a little bit to do with that. Because on some pages of Isaiah, he does talk about God beating up Israel's enemies. Look with me here in Isaiah chapter 52, verse 9, right before where we read. Isaiah 52, verse 9. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. He has brought it back. He has made it great again. That's what redeemed means. Bring it back. And then look, the Lord has bared his holy arm. That's a euphemism for power and military might. The Lord has bared his holy arm. Before the eyes of all the nations. Oh good, yeah, he's gonna, he's gonna kick the nations out. And the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. That's conquest. That's military exploits. That's military redemption. And then right after that verse, in verse 13, we read this. Behold, my servant, in other words, God's man for the job, shall act wisely and he shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. This is the hope that Israel had. A Savior who would come and deliver them from all their physical enemies. And the Savior that they got showed up and refused to be made king and weeped as he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. By the way, to this day, we celebrate something that they did on that day. We call it Palm Sunday because what did they do? They took out palm branches and they waved them as Jesus was riding into Jerusalem. Do you know why they did that? Some of you think that's in the Bible. That's not actually in the Bible. That's actually between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. About 150 years before Jesus showed up, there was a military deliverer who actually did deliver Jerusalem out of the hands of the Greeks. His name was Judas Maccabeus. And he was a mighty conquering general. And he led the Jewish people in revolt against the Greeks and freed Jerusalem. And when he marched in Jerusalem, the people waved palm branches in the air to say, yes, we are going to win this battle. That's why at this church, we have, I, you might not know this, we have never given you palms on Palm Sunday. Did you know that? We've never done it. Do you know why? Because the Palm Sunday message is not the message of Judas Maccabeus that God wins the battle through military might. No, the message of Palm Sunday is that God wins the battle not against our physical enemies, but against our spiritual enemies. He doesn't take out our physical enemies. He takes out the enemies of death, of sin, of the devil. And Jesus rode into Jerusalem not to kick out Rome, but to kick out sin so that God's people could be free from their true problem, the problem of sin, hell, and death. So we, we have always made it a point never to give you palms on Palm Sunday. Um, you're welcome. <laughs> and so this, this Savior, this, this gift that Israel was given was not what they expected. Point number one, if you're taking notes. 
God's gift is not what you'd expect. Israel wanted a military hero, they got a suffering servant. They got a, they got a man who came to associate with us, to walk with us. This is not what they wanted. This is not what they wanted. And I'm, I'm gonna prove to you from the New Testament that even after Jesus dies and rises again, right? He dies at the hands of the Romans and he rises again. And even after that, even his closest followers were still waiting for him to kick Rome's butt. Because look what it says in Acts chapter 1, verse 6. When they had come together, they said to him, Lord, are you at this time going to make Israel great again? He says, no, no. That's not for you to know. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. And you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the uttermost parts of the earth, all the way around the world to Massachusetts. Praise Jesus. But even the disciples were like, when are you gonna, when are you gonna give us what we really want? <laughs> and the thing is, is that there are things that we want God to do. Here's the, here's the practical application. There are things that we want God to do, and there are, there's one thing that God needs to do. We want God to give us a blessed life. We want God to give us a wife or a spouse or a husband. We want God to give us healthy children. We want God to give us the good life. We want God to take care of those who oppose us. We want, we want God to put into office the people that we like. And, and, and God has a funny way of not doing what we want. Anybody willing in church to say, yeah, God's disappointed me once or twice? Anybody willing to? A couple of liars in this house, I'm telling you. Yeah, I've been disappointed. And, and, and here's the thing, because we think, like the world teaches us, that Christmas is about giving and getting, or Christmas is about mutual understanding, or Christmas is about coming together, or Christmas is about family, or Christmas is about, you know, just good, warm-hearted feelings. No! Christmas is, and, and let me just tell you this too, Christmas is not about the baby in the manger, Christmas is not about the three wise men. And there weren't even three. The Bible doesn't even say that. But we just say there's three. Why? Because it fits on our mantle. <laughs> Christmas is not about the shepherds. Christmas is not about the angels. Christmas is about the fact that there is a problem in the human heart. The problem is sin. We are born sinful, opposed to God. We don't like God. We don't want God having control of our lives. We want to do what we want to do. And Christmas is about the fact that God came and didn't destroy us. God came to redeem us from our biggest problem. And our biggest problem is us. Amen. So he had, to, he had to shock us. Isaiah chapter 52, verse 14, look at it. It says, as many were astonished at you. They, they were astonished. Why were they astonished? Because he wasn't what they expected. And look what they got. His appearance was so marred. Look at this next line. Beyond human semblance. In other words, he was so beaten. He didn't even look human. How many, how many remember when um, the movie The Passion of the Christ came out? Remember that movie? I was, I was so looking forward to seeing that movie. I had just started, we'd just started this church. Actually, <laughs> like nobody's here from that party. We actually had a watch party. We actually went to the theater together to the church. Watch it was one of the first things we ever did as a church. Went to that movie. And I remember I went to that movie early in the morning. I was sitting next to some nuns and I saw some priests and I saw, you know, all the religious professionals. And we watched that movie and we... All of us who had studied this our entire lives 
tears streaming down our faces, our mouths dropping open, our eyes just overcome with the punishment and the torture that Jesus endured. It was shocking. And this is what Jesus came to do. He came to be punished for our sins. The scripture says that on him, and it's in Isaiah 53, on him God laid all the sins of the world. See, sin has to be punished. Sin has to be paid for. You say, I don't like the idea of sin having to be paid for. Yes, you do, when it's sin against you. Oh, yes, you do. When someone sins against you, what do you immediately think? I hope somebody gets him. They deserve. God, are you really gonna let them blank? And when your enemies get it, you're finally like, a little bit of you's like, yeah. Right? When someone betrays you, you know in your heart, it's gotta be made right. Well, the same is true with God, because we're made in his image. That's why we feel that way. We broke his law. We abandoned his word. We rejected him. It has to be paid for. And the beautiful thing about the gospel is that God does not expect you to pay for the sins that you sinned against him. No, God in Christ Jesus took the payment upon himself, the punishment upon himself, and bore it on the tree and buried it in the ground. And if you believe in that, then you are free in Jesus' name. <laughs> free in, from sin and punishment and all those things. Your heart, this is what Christmas is about, your heart is made right with God. It's, it's time to just unwrap it a little bit. I want you to write this down in your notes. Israel expected a conquering hero. They were given a suffering servant. That's what Jesus is. Jesus is the one who suffers for us and, and hear this, with us. You, you know why he had to suffer? Do you know why he had to suffer other than for the sins of the world? Do you know why? Because we all suffer. He, he came to associate with us. He, he came to bear what we bear and feel what we feel. And this is probably the best thing about a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, is that in Jesus Christ, we don't have a God who is strange to our problems or disconnected from our issues and our in our, in our feelings and our emotions. No, we serve a Savior who came down from heaven and felt what we felt and experienced what we experienced and was tempted in every way, the scripture says, in every way we were tempted. If you have felt that, Jesus felt it. If you've been betrayed, Jesus was betrayed. If you've lost a loved one, Jesus lost a loved one. Think about it. He had a father in the beginning of the story. He did not have a father at the end of the story. Jesus knew what it was like to lose someone close to him. What I'm trying to tell you is that we serve a savior who knows exactly how you feel when you suffer. And therefore he is able to minister to you spiritually through the Holy Spirit and his body, the church, 
in the way that you actually need. Isn't that good? Number two, God's gift startles you awake to real life. God's gift startles you awake to real life. It's not what you expect, but I'll tell you something what it does is it causes your spirit to awaken. That's what the Christian message is about. Now, now, now we need to bear in here because there's so much <laughs> there's so much wrapping paper around the gospel. We think the gospel is be a good person. We think the gospel is go to church. We think the gospel is do nice things. We think the gospel is be nice, be nice. Be ni Jesus wasn't always nice. Jesus once walked into the temple, flipped over some tables and whipped some people out of there. Not nice. Jesus was not always soft and meek and mild. But what Jesus does what the gospel is, is that when you repent of your sins and turn to Jesus, he causes your inner person to wake. He causes you to be what the scripture calls born again. Born again. Which indicates you were born wrong the first time. Anybody who tells you they were born that way, they're right. I was born this way. I just I can't help it. This is my bo I'm born, and that's it. it. No, no, wait, I know. That's true. That's why Jesus said, you must be born again. Yeah. Woo! <laughs> I'm preaching better than you're responding right now. I'm just telling you right now. You must be born again. Yes, your parents got it wrong the first time, but I got good news for anybody who feels like they are out of place in their body or in their mind or in society. The good news of the gospel is that through the Holy Spirit, God can give you a second birth that'll put you right in your body, in your mind, in your spirit, in your family, and in your nation. <laughs> Hallelujah. All right, just, just had to wake you up a little bit. Amen. No, snowed last night. You're all depressed. Okay, let's move on. Isaiah 52, verse 15 says, so shall he sprinkle, or the word actually is better translated, startle. He shall startle many, what's the next word? Nations, ethnos. In the Septuagint, ethnos, Greek, uh, uh, people who are not Jewish. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. Remember he stood before Pilate and Pilate couldn't say anything? I was like, what is truth? I don't even know what you're talking about. And that which has not been told of them, they shall see. And that which they have not heard, they shall understand. What is this about, Pastor? Here's what it's about. It's about you and me. Unless you're Jewish, which if you're Jewish, praise God, you know who Messiah is. Amen. But, see, see Jesus was the Jewish Savior who actually saves all the non-Jews. That's me. Any Gentiles in the house? <laughs> yeah, that's us. They will see. Let me put it in the New Living Translation. They will see what they had not been told. We didn't get, this wasn't written to us. The first, the first half of the Bible wasn't written to us. It was written to Jews. So, so we're, we're the Gentiles who see what we had not been told and understand what we had not been heard. And here's what I want you to write down. Jesus is startling awake people from every nation. Now, that's especially happening in 2020. The nations are getting shaken. But I see, you guys see bad. I see a lot of good. I see a lot of people coming to Jesus during this season. 
I see it in this church. Proportionately, we are getting more people responding to Jesus now than before the pandemic happened. We're getting more people baptized today than ever before, proportionally, according to our numbers, than ever before. Why? Jesus is startling awake people to the spiritual reality that you are going to die, and there's an answer to death, and the answer to death is Jesus. Now, I kid you not, as I was preparing this message, one of our campus pastors, the guy's going to Guatemala, he texted me a praise report from recently at this church. Some cool things are happening, man. And I'm preparing this message. I'm talking about Jesus starting awake people from every nation. And this is the text that he sends me. I'm gonna read it to you word for word. Here's what he said. Prayed with a woman on Wednesday at the couch at the lo- in the lobby of the church. He ran from the police for 20 years and then he just walked up to a cruiser and turned himself in. He was a fugitive and he couldn't bear the weight of running away from justice anymore. Last Sunday, he tried to kill himself. He put a belt around his neck. But God, in his mercy and love, grabbed him and brought him into our church. He asked Christ to be his savior last week. He just had coffee with him. He's doing growth track this Sunday, baptism class in two weeks. He's going to do his video, and he wants to start serving Jesus. Amen. I get excited. Come on, that's better than Netflix. That's better than any Christmas movie you will ever watch. This is what's happening. We, oh, you're not gonna get the Christmas you wanted, so what? Let's get the Christmas that Jesus came to give us, amen? Point number three, when God's gift is not what you expect, it's best to simply accept it. When God's gift, this is point number three, when God's gift is not what you expect, it's best to simply accept it. Okay, so you're not gonna get the Christmas you want. We'll get the Christmas that you were supposed to have in the first place. The Savior who suffers. The Savior who heals. The Savior who doesn't take care always of the external problems outside of you, but the internal problem inside of you. So this is hard to get. And not many people get it. And so Isaiah says that in 53, verse 1. He says, who has believed what what he has heard from us? The better translation is, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord, if you got paper notes out, would you just circle the word revealed? Because it's not a message that you discover It's a message that's revealed to you. God, listen very carefully here, listen carefully. God, in his grace, opens your eyes to the reality of who Jesus is. If you're sitting here today and you love Jesus with all of your heart and you love him and, and I know you still fail, I know you still make mistakes, I, I know we all do, but you still know that if necessary, you die for him and that's your ultimate hope and he's the center of your life. I want you to remind yourself on a regular basis, you did not come to this on your own. No, God revealed Jesus Christ to you and changed your heart. Please remember that. And the reason why you want to remember that is so that you can be a little bit more patient with people who haven't yet been revealed that. Amen. Could have gotten a better amen from that one, but we'll go on. 
Verse two, for he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. In other words, he, he came out of nowhere. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He, he, was, he wasn't an Instagram model. He, he didn't wrap himself in what we're constantly trying to wrap ourselves in beauty and image and putting our best foot forward and, and making sure that we're, you know, posturing for all the different people in our life. I gotta, I gotta be this person for my family. I gotta be this person for my employees or my, my co-workers. I gotta, be, I gotta be this person for my secular friends and, and this person for my Christian friends. Like, he didn't do, he didn't play any games. And he can free you from doing that. He didn't worry about what was on the outside. He worried about what was on the inside. He was despised. He was rejected. This is all that stuff I talked about. If you've been despised, he's been there. If you've been rejected, he's been there. If you got sorrow, he's felt it. If you got grief, he knows it. If you've had people turn their back on you, he's been there too. And because he's a man, he has felt it. But because he is God, he can heal it. That's the hope, that's the truth of Christmas. So the question is, we just take the wrapping off the gift today, and we talk, well, it's not about the baby in the manger, no, it's not about the shepherds, it's not about the wise men, it's not about all of that stuff, we gotta get this stuff out, all, all this stuff that we wrap it up with, and we just come to what it really is, do we accept it? John chapter one, verse 10. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not know him. He came into his own, his own people did not receive him. But, verse 12, but to all who did receive him, to those who believed on his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were not born of the will of men or of the flesh, but of God, John chapter one verse 12 and 13. So I want to give you the chance to take a better look. If you've never done this, take a better look at Jesus. And, and maybe if you have already done this and you've been there and you just haven't, you've gotten lost in the weeds of the Christmas season, hey, let's, let's bring it back. Let's bring it back to the reality that there's a Savior in heaven who knows how we feel, who can heal how we feel, and who's going to bring us peace with God from the inside out.